Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that is familiar to many people today, but not necessarily its deep uh, philosophy and practice. So yoga refers to oneness, union or unity, and, it, and it's about bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously abide with our essential nature, to be restored to our original wholeness. It's knowing our true spiritual nature and then um, being able to live in harmony with it. Yoga is sometimes defined, especially Kriya Yoga, as skillful living. So today we're going to be looking at a really key um, element of skillful living, and that is the cultivation of a love and kindness and compassion. Compassionate living requires wisdom and courage, kindness towards ourselves, others, and uh, life. It's natural for us, but at the same time has to be cultivated uh, as we heal old wounds and become skillful at offering our help to bring about healing in the world. I'm delighted uh, that we're joined today by Venerable Tubton Chadran, an American-born Buddhist nun, the founder and abbess of Shravasti Abbey, and co-author of a delightful book, An Open-Hearted Life, Transformative Methods for Compassionate Living, um, that she's uh, written together with Russell Colts, who is a um, clinical psychologist. So we have these viewpoints from clinical psychologist and Buddhist nun. Um, so, Venerable, a welcome to Yoga Hour. It's uh, delightful to have you with us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. And I'm quite happy to be here with you. 
Thank you. Um, just a little bit more about you before we take a moment to meditate and then begin our conversation. I, I'd like our listeners to know that Venerable Tubton Chadron, um, she's an American-born uh, Tibetan Buddhist nun, and as I said, the founder and abbess of Shravasti Abbey in Newport, Washington. She studied and practiced Buddhism of the Tibetan tradition for many years in India and Nepal uh, with the guidance of His Holiness the Dalai Lama and other Tibetan masters. Uh, Venerable emphasizes the practical application of Buddha's teachings in our daily life, and she's especially skilled at explaining them in ways easily understood and practiced by Westerners. She's well known for her warm, humorous, and lucid teachings, so we're going to have a treat to discover more about that this morning. Her website is tubtenchodren.org. Org, and that's T-H-U-B-T-E-N-C-H-O-D-R-O-N dot org. Um, now, before we dive into our conversation, let's just take a moment to center ourselves and prepare to connect in the deepest way. In this moment, let us consciously open our hearts and our minds. Let us become aware of life with a capital L, one reality with a capital R, the one reality called by many names that is the support, the substance of all that is. So right where we are, right now in this moment, whatever you're doing, just take a moment to pause, to reflect, to direct your attention within, becoming aware of this divine essence that is present around us, between us, within us. And in this moment, just move your attention and awareness from the periphery into the depths of your being. And we can do that pretty easily by just following the breath. So become aware of your breath. And as you breathe in, feel the breath coming in. But connect it to an intention to dive within to touch the peace that is unconditional, that is always, always within. And as you breathe out, just let go and relax. And in just a simple moment like this of following the breath within and intending to connect to unconditional peace, that is beyond thought, beyond phenomena. We can notice thoughts and feelings arising and passing away like clouds in the clear sky of our pure awareness. And whenever we do that, we touch that peace within us and we become that peace. We're able to share it with others. And we begin to have a foundation for living with compassion, 
Let us gather this peace now in our conscious awareness and intend for it to overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. On the path of yoga, there are many approaches to the liberation of consciousness or freedom, you know, freedom from wrongly identifying with the mortal changing body and mind um, to learning how to abide in our unchanging essential nature. And these ways of freedom can be devotion, wisdom, service, and meditation. And uh, although we, you know, we look at them as different paths, they, they, they intersect in so many ways. And um, we're, today we're going to be looking at compassion, um, which we find um, is related to all those ways of liberation. It, compassion arises out of love, out of pure love. It's part of the wisdom um, you know, once we see clearly about the nature of life, we recognize compassion uh, is the natural way of responding to that. Compassion um, is part of selfless service. It's the foundation for it. And as we meditate deeply, our heart is opened and we perceive the oneness of life and begin to discern how we can skillfully uh, respond to that. So let's begin with a basic understanding about compassion. My guru, uh, Roy Eugene Davis, the direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, defines compassion as selfless concern for the well-being of others or for other forms of life with a willingness to provide assistance or support and to help ease our remove pain, discomfort, or other limiting conditions. Um, Chodron, you, of course, have written so beautifully about compassion in, in your book, An Open-Hearted Life, what it is, and not just what it is, but you know how we begin to cultivate it um, and it, to let it arise within us so we begin to have a more skillful response to life. Um, tell us how you view compassion, you know, what it is, and um, why it's important. Okay, um, the definition you gave with, you gave, I completely agree with. Usually in Buddhism, we make it even more succinct and say compassion is the wish for someone to be free of suffering and also the causes of that suffering. So that opens up like a whole uh, door, you know, with the question of, well, what in the world is suffering? You know, because there's many different kinds of suffering, and uh, some of what we consider happiness is actually unsatisfactory and turns into suffering. And so it opens that door to that discussion, and then what are the causes of, of you know, suffering? So it, it becomes quite a large topic. 
Yes, and, and of course, understanding the nature of suffering and the causes of it um, are really critical, um, you know, to understand our own. Um, because, you know, of course, sometimes, you know, we're, we, we want to respond um, to suffering um, naturally. You know, we're moved to do that. But unless we really understand the causes, sometimes we can create more suffering in the process. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, because sometimes um, we we look at other people and you know, okay, they're having a problem, and we diagnose their problem. And of course, in all of our astute wisdom, we know the res- resolution to their problem, mm-hmm. and we're going to uh, force our resolution on them, whether they want it or not. Um, and so. Uh, this often happens with people we care about deeply that we uh, we so clearly see where they're uh, off, but we're actually not very compassionate because we become Mr. or Ms. Fix-It and force our solution on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 then and, that, and then I was going to say, underneath of that, um, of course, is a lack of a respect, a lack of clear understanding about yep. the inherent resourcefulness um, of the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so sometimes putting ourselves in a one-up position, you know, like we know better, okay. we, we see better. And um, so, you know, looking into what the causes are of suffering. Um, and, of course, for for in the path of Kriya Yoga, the, the main cause of suffering is uh, avidya, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yeah. which is... Yeah, you know, we that, say the same thing. <laughs> we say the yeah. same thing. It's you know, just ignorance of um, the truth of, you know, who we are, who others are. And, um, and of course, it, you know, it's a very rich topic, this avidya, because it's not just... Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing, it's not the ignorance of just not knowing that truth, but it is the ignorance of having the wrong idea, <laughs> which, yes. the, you know, we grasp the wrong thing. Exactly. Yeah. And then we base our, our thoughts, our experiences, um, on that. And you have some beautiful um, exercises in your book to kind of help, you know, unravel that. I, I, I really liked uh, the one where you, you, you have us look at, um, you know, who is a friend and who is an enemy and who are we indifferent towards and what is that based on? So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that because I think that kind of helps unravel um, Avidya in the process. Yeah. Well, when we... Um you know, we all have ideas of friend, enemy, and stranger. And when we look at different people, we uh, put them in one of those three categories. And then for the friends, we have clinging attachment. For the enemies, we have anger and hatred and fear. And for the strangers, we basically have apathy. We feel apathetic towards them. But when we look at those three categories and how we put people in them, what we see is not that people are inherently good or inherently bad, and, you know, so the inherently good people go in the friend category, the inherently bad people go in the enemy category, but what we find is 
that we um, put people in these categories based on how they treat us, as if we were the center of the universe, you know? And so if somebody is nice to us, they go in the friend category. If they're nice to our enemy, they go in the enemy category. So they still have that same quality of being nice, but according to who they're nice to, you know, and centered revolving around me, then we put them in one category or the other, you know. And the same with somebody may have a hot temper. If they show their hot temper towards me, they go in the enemy category. If they show their hot temper and criticism towards somebody else who I don't like, then they're on my side, so let's put them in the friend category. So what we begin to see is that all these things are... um, are fabricated by our own mind that people aren't friends, enemies, and strangers out there objectively from their own side, but we fabricate these categories and then put people in them, and then uh, according to how they relate to us, we juggle the categories. (laughs) So, you know, you see that you get married and this person is, wow, number one in the friend category, and then some years later you get divorced and they become number one in the enemy category. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Just a little <laughs> bit of examining our experience in relationship can show us that, that the same person, you know, can, you know, can work both ways. You can have somebody that, you know, you initially don't like um, and and then they turn out to be a very dear friend, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yeah. but I think, you know, the main point that, that you're making that is so helpful in, in, in this and in, in learning about how to live skillfully is um, to understand those as you say, as fabrications, and also that what what we are doing when we relate to others in that way is reinforcing um, the I, you know, the I, me, and mine. You know, we're we're strengthening that, and uh, and if we want to live skillfully, um, ideally, we have practices that help us loosen that um, sense of being, you know, really dug in. To this sense of self, and you know, why is that? Because if we if we look, we can see that that is the great source of suffering, you know, for yep. ourselves and for and for others. Yeah, it sure is. You know, uh, you know. On one hand, there's the wrong idea of what the self is. On the other hand, there's also a whole lot of self-centeredness. And, you know, seeing everything that happens in the world in terms of me. And, you know, there's seven, over seven billion human beings on this planet. Um, but just coincidentally, I happen to be the, the one that's most important. Imagine that, <laughs> you know. And, and, you know, then we create our whole world and all our expectations of other people around that. And and it's impossible to have compassion when that kind of self-centeredness is operating in full force. 
And, you know, even when we desire um, to have compassion and we have the intention to have it, sometimes, you know, we can find that it's not that easy. So when we get back from the break, let's talk about um, some ways that we can uh, open up our hearts and live more skillfully and compassionately. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Venerable Tubten Chadran, an American-born Buddhist nun, founder and abbess of Shravasti Abbey, and co-author of the book we're drawing from, An Open-Hearted Life. Her website is T-H-U-B-T-H-U-B-T-E-N-C-H-O-D-R-O-N.org, and we'll be right back with you. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts, and my mind continually receives messages from my body, especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central, 1 p.m. Eastern on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. 
We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and we're joined today by Venerable Tubten Chadran, a Buddhist nun, the founder and abbess of Shravasti Abbey, and co-author of a delightful book, An Open-Hearted Life, uh, Transformative Methods for Compassionate Living. And uh, this book was uh, done together with a clinical psychologist, Russell Colt. So it has this uh, lovely um, viewpoints um, that, of course, meet right in the heart of compassion. So, um, Venerable, let's let's talk about um, equanimity as a ground um, for compassion. You know, what is equanimity and why is it important? We, we talked about it a little bit, and we, although we didn't name it in our first session when we were talking about how we see people as friends or enemies and so on and so forth, but really at the heart of how we get out of that is this practice of equanimity. So will you tell us more about that? Okay. So, um, from a Buddhist sense, there's a few different meanings or, or maybe a few different contexts of equanimity. So one is equanimity amongst people. And so that is freeing ourselves from the clinging attachment to friends, the fear and anger towards enemies, and the apathy towards strangers, and abiding with a mind that has open-hearted caring concern for everybody in an equal way. Sometimes people think that, oh, uh, you get rid of attachment, anger, and apathy, and then you're just totally blah, and you don't care about anybody, and you're indifferent. That's not equanimity. Equanimity is like having our heart open and receptive to others, but in an equal way so that we don't play favorites towards some or are prejudiced towards others. Mm-hmm. So that's equanimity, like in the context of of um, human beings. And then in Buddhist practice, we, we generate compassion and love based on that equanimity. And that enables the, the compassion and love to be much deeper because they aren't um, held hostage by our clinging attachment, by our self-centered concern. But instead, the, the love and compassion control flow freely without expectations that our friends act this way or do this or, uh, you know, say that. And without the, the fear and prejudice um, and stereotypes we have of other people, uh, including people who have harmed us personally, sometimes we just hear their name and automatically, oh, they're a horrible person comes up. So freedom from all that kind of mental fabrication, mental chatter, um, I call it garbaggio, you know, <laughs> or stupidaggio. <laughs> I lived in Italy for a while, so I learned those words. <laughs> but that's really what it is, you know, our projections on other people that then keep us from from really connecting with them. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah, and then we feel alienated, we feel lonely, but, you know, it's our own preconceptions that are limiting us. 
that's you kind know, of a tragedy. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I have found this same uh, thing that, you know, people will, at first, learning about this practice of equanimity, will think that, you know, if I let go of these um, passionate emotions, you know, anger, um, <laughs> you know, greed, um, you know, how will I even be motivated? You know, so there's a connection, you know, that that, that is the motivating factor in life and that, that the passion and fullness of life is connected to, you know, feeling all those feelings. So the idea then comes that equanimity is about not having any feelings and you'll yeah. just be you know robot like but but you know i usually try to explain that you know it seems to me that um equanimity is about is having a freedom you know to respond um you know uh, because otherwise we are just reacting you know we we feel like we're free to have these emotions and and express them but we don't realize that having those strong emotions and then just being motivated by them is actually connected to this whole you know as i'm saying it i'm thinking it's connected to this whole chain of causes and effects that, right. that actually that actually bind us, you know, mm-hmm. rather than you know having the the coolness of um, and I don't mean cold. I just mean cool in in its best yeah. sense of equanimity mm-hmm. that allows us to see more clearly and then to respond uh, in a way that um, we can see is is highest and best. So yeah. you know, one thing I do want to ask you because I know that. And the other part, so people, so we have to clear up that living with equanimity is actually much more fun, much more joyful, much more free. But then the other question is, you know, <laughs> you know, how do we really do that? Because as you said, you know, sometimes just the thought of a person, you know, who has harmed us, you know, brings up that emotion. And so, <clears throat> you know, that's why, of course, we have practices that, that, that have to come from many, many angles um, to be able to develop the quality of heart and mind that makes compassion possible. Um, so, you know, what would you say to somebody like, you know, this is so unrealistic because, of course, we're going to have these feelings, you know, towards people. There's some people we and like and just some people, you know, we inherently don't even want to get close to just when we look at them. So... <clears throat> What about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's true. You know, as ordinary beings, those kind of feelings come up. But the question is, do we want to encourage those feelings? You know, do we want to enhance them? Or when we look at them, are those feelings unrealistic? Are they not beneficial? And if they're unrealistic and not beneficial, then let's get our mind more in tune with reality and benefit and not just succumb to those feelings. Because sometimes we feel like that when there's an emotion in our mind that this is the only thing I could possibly feel in the situation and that any normal person would feel this way. But that's, you know, if we really stop and question that, 
that's not the case. And one example I like to give is, you know, when we see people being harmed, sometimes people say, well, you've got to be angry, and anger is good because that motivates us to create social, to, to um, prevent and, um, and create social, uh, prevent um, social injustice and create social justice. And so we've got to be angry to intercede when people are harming each other. And I don't agree with that because I know when I'm angry, I'm not thinking clearly. And I say and do all sorts of things that I regret later. And when I'm angry, my mind becomes just like the mind of the person whose behavior I'm objecting to. My mind becomes biased. It is imbued with self-centeredness. It wants to harm somebody. How can making my mind like the mind of the person that I'm je- whose behavior I'm objecting to, how can that be something good? That, that's not going to lead to anything good. You know, and when you look at, for example, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, you know, he's been in exile way over 50 years now. But he doesn't speak with anger, and in fact, he tells the Tibetans very clearly, do not be angry at the communist Chinese, you know, do not hate them. Um, and and he, he is motivated by compassion in creating social justice. And so I think that when we can really cultivate a sense of compassion, then we, we realize that not only the victim is suffering, but also the perpetrator is suffering. Mm. And if we're going to solve the situation, we need to, f- to find something that is going to help remedy the suffering of both parties. Mm. Because if we just see remedying a, so- a situation of social injustice as harming somebody else so that they stop harming the first person, you know, that's recreating the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to bring peace at all. I totally agree. You know, it, it's like you, you cannot separate the seed from the fruit. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, can't, we can't plant seeds of, of hatred and expect uh, to have peace blossom from that. It just yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, in, in, in speaking about His Holiness, of course, He's such a beautiful example um, for all the world to see of a compassionate heart and mind. And one of the uh, things that I often point to with him uh, in this situation you're describing is a, is a quote that I read years ago where, he, you know, he somebody had asked him, you know, directly, are you angry with the Chinese? And he said, um, no, um, they have taken everything. Why should I give them my mind too? Yeah. Uh (laughs) And and so, you know, I find that, um, you know, that was an essence of empowerment, you know. So, you know, when people are, you know, you described a situation where people want to work for social justice issues, you know, to me, his statement there was no, you know, do not give your mind. Um, you know, don't lose your mind. <laughs> um, yeah. But but instead, you know, cultivate 
uh, awareness that is going to be transformative, you know, for you, you know, and for others. I mean, it is not fun um, to to not react, you know, when you want to, you know, it. It, you know, we, we talk in, in yoga that that situation of self-discipline is called tapas, you know, it is, yeah. and it's, it's hot and it burns, you know, you, you, you just, you know, you stop yourself, you know, if you have anger that is arising and you stop yourself and, you know, if you have a practice of meditation, it, it gives you enough um, space in your mind that you can examine um, this heat of anger, you know, where it's coming yeah. from, where it's going to go. Um, but while you're feeling it, you know, you, you're, you're resisting, you know, that urge to lash out. And, you know, that, and that can be uncomfortable. But I think if we understand that that energy is our life energy and we can um, gather it up, you know, and do something else with it um, that is going to be, you know, for the benefit of others and will benefit us um, as well, um, you know, I think uh, that, that is useful. I was thinking about I have a little granddaughter, and she taught me a song that she learned in school when she was in kindergarten, and it was um, Stop, Look, and Listen. Um, before you cross the street, <laughs> use your eyes, <laughs> use your ears before you use your feet. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's a good Dharma song, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much. Very much. Yeah. And so that, you know, that ability just to, to pause and to not let our emotions overwhelm us. And to, I call it not believing everything we think, you know, mm-hmm. and just creating some space. Okay, I have this thought, I have this emotion, and this impulse to act immediately. But no, I can, you know, I can pause and I can wait. And like you said, it can be uncomfortable, but it is certainly beneficial and it stops creating many messes, mm-hmm. you know. Because I look for myself that when I just react, when I'm in reactive mode, I create a mess. Mm-hmm. Even though what I'm wanting is happiness, I create suffering. Mm-hmm. You know? So this this mm-hmm. ability to pause and then not just pause, but actively transform the mind, actively yes. check. You know, is what I'm thinking and feeling really in accord with reality or not? Yeah, and I, I want to just underline what you just said, this actively, you know, don't just stop, but then actively transform the mind, because I find, and you know, this happened to me when I when I came onto the path of yoga, I so wanted to be good, you know, and I really, uh, yeah. I, really I wanted to be, you know, the Vajra Yogini, and, you know, at least outwardly to look like one, and oh, so, yeah. you know, I so, know that well, so I didn't, you know, so if these negative emotions would arise, of course, I didn't want to express them, but I also didn't quite skillfully know how to actively transform the mind. And so what happens and what happened to me and what I see with devotees today, you know, when they're just beginning, is that if it's not dealt with, it very often will either go into the body 
and people will experience, you know, uh, difficulty with the body. Or, of course, it will just come up again, you know, in the mind that is yeah. not transformed, you know, in, in another way. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't go away by just stopping. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. And, it, and our idea is not to suppress it. Because if it's suppressed, like you said, it just comes out in the body or it comes out in some other situation. But it's to actively, you know, look at our mind and, you know, steer our mind in another direction. And to do that, you know, we also have to know how to steer our mind, how to think in more beneficial and more realistic ways. And this, of course, is where a spiritual practice comes in. And, you know, in your book, um, you, you, the book opens with how important it is, um, if I'm getting this right, um, how important it is to have the intention, you know, just to begin yeah. there with, you know, have the intention to um, live uh, more compassionately. So when we get back from the break, um, let, let's talk about, that about having that intention and um, how uh, compassion can be integrated more fully into our lives. Um, you are listening to the Yoga Hour today with our special guest, Venerable Tubton Chadran, an American-born Buddhist nun, founder and abbess of Shavasti Abbey, and co-author of the book we're drawing from today, An Open-Hearted Life. And her website is Tubton Chadran, T-H-U-B-T-E-N, T-H-U-B-T-E-N-C-H-O-D-R-O-N dot org. And we'll be right back with you. I'm Dr. Tom Shepard, host of Let's Talk About It on Unity Online Radio. In my studies of world religions, I've repeatedly encountered two central spiritual questions. How do we make sense of life, and how do we live it more successfully? You're invited to explore these two questions with me in my new book, The Many Faces of Prayer, How the Human Family Meets Its Spiritual Needs. You'll be amazed at the remarkable ways people have learned to pray to their gods and to celebrate life individually and as communities of faith. Learn more at unitybooks.org. At the base of all life is the infinite wellspring of Source, and each of us has a unique way of expressing that Source as an individualized soul. Do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose? Do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression? 
Host Reverend Kristen Powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien. And today I'm speaking with our special guest, Venerable Tubton Chadron, uh, founder and abbess of Shavasti Abbey, and uh, co-author of the book, An Open-Hearted Life, a book about cultivating compassion, and that's been our topic today. And in this last segment, um, we really want to look at um, what the intention to live uh, more compassionately um, can, can bring to our lives. Um, you know, um, children, we've been talking about how, you know, to live compassionately takes awareness, it takes practice, um, not that easy. <laughs> um, so, so let me ask you, you know, to just address, you know, why would we want to do it? Well, I think why we want to do it is because we want to be happy and we don't want to suffer. And uh, so it starts out, it actually starts out with a selfish reason, seeing that if we take care of others, we create the cause for our own happiness. Yeah, whereas when we harm others, we create a lot of tension and bad situations now. And, of course, we create the karma that brings suffering in the future. So, you know, just on a basic self-centered motivation, we, you know, we start out with compassion is good for us. But then we move beyond that and really see that compassion is good for the world and it's necessary for the world. And... uh it's only, to me, when we talk about fairness and justice, compassion, you know, is, is what that is all about, you know, because compassion is this open-hearted care and concern towards everybody that wants to eliminate the, the suffering of others simply because it's suffering, not because it's my suffering or my friend and relative's suffering, it, but simply, you know, suffering is to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to mention one little exercise that I do that I find extremely helpful is every day uh, when I first get up in the morning before I even go, get out of bed, I generate my motivation for the day. And my motivation is threefold. So uh, three most important things, okay, not just one, but three so most important thing is today, 
that I don't harm anybody by what I say, what I do, or even what I think. And so making, setting that intention at the beginning of the day, you know, really helps to, to remember it during the day and to act accordingly. And then the second part is, as much as possible today, I want to be of service and benefit to others in whatever big or small way I can. And then third is today I will continue to, um, through my own meditation practice and through checking my mind in daily life, uh, continue to increase my love and compassion and altruistic intention. And so I set this as the, this is the motivation for me being alive today, is to do this. And, and it's so uh, beautiful. It's so beautiful um, to have that quality of meditative, intentional mind. You know, before we even get out of bed. Um, yeah. You know, because you can really think about it, setting a template. You know, for the day ahead, um, and that you know, it's so easy to um, have a quality of mind like, oh, you know, I have to do this or I have to face that. Um, you know. This must be done. That must be done. Um, then that 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 causes then the mind, you know, to narrow and constrict and yeah. and stresses the body as well. But to start with this kind of uh, generating um, a more generous, compassionate motivation for the day sounds, you know, really, really, truly uh, powerful. You know, one of the questions I have. Um, you know, and it still comes up for me is, you know, as we have this intention <clears throat> to increase compassion, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, also this edge of it where, you know, where do we know what our limits are? You know, there is so much need um, around us that we can see, you know, in any given day. And, you know, certainly we can cultivate a, a pure quality of heart and mind so that we're not um, responding negatively. But, you know, the, the fulfillment of compassion is to act, is to act, you know, not just to think, but to act to relieve suffering. So, you know, one of the big questions that comes up is, um, there's so much of it, you know, and so what is that like when we see more than we can possibly respond to? I, I think one important thing here is differentiating between compassion and personal distress. Because compassion is focused on the other. They're having problems and <clears throat> I want to help. Personal distress is... I can't bear to see them suffer. I feel suffering when I see others suffering. And with personal distress, then the focus comes back on us and our unpleasant emotions. And that kind of immobilizes us, mm -hmm, you know, because mm -hmm. we feel so distressed by the suffering. So <clears throat> one exercise that, that um, I find is very helpful is... Even if I can't physically or verbally solve the problem, I need to remain, um, you know, I need to remain connected emotionally. 
And so we have a practice called Tong Len, or taking and giving, uh-huh. Uh-huh. where we imagine taking on other suffering, giving them our happiness. And so when I do this practice, it enables me to, to remain connected with, with the suffering without ignoring it, but without feeling personal distress and despondent and overwhelmed. So that's one element. The the second element is knowing that I cannot control the world. You know, I cannot force suffering to stop. Suffering is created by causes, and many of those causes are outside of, you know, what I can influence, what I can do. And so I have to accept that. You know, I cannot control this world, I cannot control other beings. So I can influence, you know, where I can. And sometimes the best way to influence is just to sit there and listen and sit there and witness and be there for the person mm-hmm. without, you know, actively doing something, but just mm-hmm. your, your presence, who mm-hmm. you are as a human being can be so comforting to to other people who are you know in, in pain and and sometimes that's the best way to act compassionately you know cuz there i mean we cannot stop aging sickness and death can we you know those are given in the human condition but we can respond to those with a compassionate mind yes and i you know i also think that um you know that was a very very useful distinction there about you know not getting overwhelmed by our personal distress <laughs> that that's very good distinction um, but you know I think another part of you know personal distress is that um, you know we really are wired to respond um, you know that does bring our greatest happiness to be able to serve um, to be of service and so you know I think part of the picture is um, discovering you know beyond our practice of you know heart and mind discovering what is ours to do um, because you know, when we're doing what is ours to do, you know, we do have a sense of, I think, fulfillment that comes from that and a sense of knowing um, that we are contributing. And, of course, in our contributing, you know, we're uh, one of the greatest beneficiaries because we're learning, you know, and all of that. So, you know, I think part of it is, you know, we can't do everything. And like you say, we can't, uh, you know, stop the all the suffering. But if we are doing... Uh, you know, something, if we're doing something that we know is ours to do, um, then I think uh, that is very helpful to us as well. Um, we're coming close to our time of uh, concluding for today, and so I, I want to just offer a little space here um, for you. Um, any advice, inspiration you would like to offer our listeners about living a more open-hearted, compassionate way of living? I mean, beyond what you've already done, and I thank you because it's been a very rich conversation, but just anything else um, you would like to add? Uh, One thing that I find useful in creating compassion is to realize that 
the other, you know, if I'm upset with somebody, that that person is also suffering. That, you know, if somebody is doing harm in the world, it's because they're suffering. It's not because they're happy. You know, people who are happy don't wake up in the morning and say, it's so beautiful and I feel so good in my life, I want to go harm somebody. Mm -hmm. Nobody thinks like that. So it's, you know, to realize that if somebody's doing harm, it's because they have suffering. And so I need to tune into that person's suffering. Instead of judging them, instead of hating them, instead of building my court case against them, I need to understand their suffering. And if I can, you know, offer empathy. So definitely offer empathy in my own heart. But if there's a way to communicate with that person, to show them that, you know, I understand their suffering, that I am aware of their perspective on the problem. Mm -hmm. That it's not just all about me. (laughs) <laughs> That's, that sounds like a really good note for us to conclude on is the mantra it's not all about me <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is definitely definitely liberating thank you so much for the inspiration you've shared with us today and again if you would like to be in touch with Venerable and learn more about her um uh, her abbey there and her, her programs. You can visit her website, uh, Tubten Chadron, T-H-U-B-T-E-N-C-H-O-D-R-O-N dot org. And uh, I want to let you know, those of you who are listening in real time or listening to the um, archive uh, in this month of July 2015 that coming up at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment on Saturday August 8th is our annual Sheltering Tree of Compassionate um, Benefit, a beautiful event um, and our keynote guest speaker this year is Mark Matusik and he has written a beautiful compassionate book on lessons in the art of living so we invite you to attend that sheltering tree of compassion go to csecenter.org to find out how you can do that and remember you can subscribe to the yoga hour if you haven't already done that on iTunes and have all of the uh, archives with these wonderful speakers who have uh, joined us. I look forward to being with you next week. Uh, until then, remember to let your inner light of love and compassion shine into the world and share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye, everyone, and thank you again, children, for being with us today. Uh, thank you. It was really very nice to talk with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature 
by writing info at csecenter.org. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice activated technology, available on any Alexa enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 